Golight Selects, brought to you by Sky. Watch new exclusive and unmissable content only on Sky. Okay, Ado. Yes. I'm going to give you some sound effects here. What am I doing? Okay. Okay. Wait. Are you applying? Wait, wait, I'm not finished. Wait. Lunt razor to part of your body? You missed that bit. Listen. Any guesses? Well, the last bit just sounded like you put him back on the, the cap of a two litre bottle of seven up. The first bit sounded like you were shaving something. If <laughs> <laughs> I put those two things together. What do you get? <laughs> a good, a good, a good night out. I'm going to leave it there. Let's do it! <laughs> All right, buddy, what exotic climb are you coming to us live from today well i'm in i'm in the showbiz capital of north county dublin in las vegas uh, Eddie, buried Eddie. in the bowels of my uh, mansion in the middle of my housing estate my housing estate there's another two thousand houses here um, no, i'm at home uh, i'm at home at the minute heading up to belfast tomorrow for uh, read-throughs and rehearsals for the new show that i'm starting to film next monday and i'm going to be up there then till the end of february filming that wow okay Stupid question number one. Why does it take that long? So it's six one-hour episodes. So that's a lot of television to shoot. It's for BBC and Showtime. Uh, wow. So B- BBC will mean that it's a commercial-free hour. So you're shooting more footage. Because um, if you were shooting an hour drama, say, for ITV or Sky, there would be, it would be 48 minutes broadcast. Yeah. So you have an extra, whatever, a few minutes. So, yeah, it's just six one-hour. So it's a lot of stuff to shoot. So I think it's 14, 15 weeks that we're going to be shooting it for. Uh, all up in, up and around uh, Belfast. Mm. That's amazing. This is exciting for you. And I mean, to, to get into such a chunky, meaty length of work, much bit, and mm-hmm. not just from the practical, <laughs> feed the kids uh, and, and keep the wife happy side mm-hmm. of things, um, but also just for an actor to get your teeth into that, that amount of work must be uh, exciting. Well, it's great because it is something you can get your teeth into. You're not dropping into something for, <clears throat> for excuse me, for a day or a week or... Mm. like the movie I did in Berlin I was there for a couple of days and that's fine it was great and a nice part blah 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 this is a character who's involved with the beginning middle and end of this story and it's a great story it's brilliantly written uh, by um, Joe Murta uh, and it's going to be pretty special I think so uh, yeah we dive in next Monday then it's really head down then till till the end of February that's it really that's sort of incap- the, the film crew and the film family then they become your extended family for the six months because you're spending 16, 18 hours a day with them, you know? Yeah, I bet. On and indeed off the set. Exactly. Uh, that's very exciting. Well, at the outset, we all wish you uh, the very best of luck with that. And, but uh, I'll still be coming loud you from Belfast. We're not going to stop doing the podcast. I'll be able to do it. They've got great Wi-Fi in the hotel up there. It'll be all right, boy. I didn't think the accent would change that quick. I thought there might be a slight transition over six months, but no, there we go. No, straight. see, I'm not. See, the thing is, I'm not playing a Belfast fella. I'm playing. Why are you doing a Belfast? Accent? I don't know because I just said I was going to be in Belfast. Aye. No, the show I'm doing is set in the west of Ireland, so it'll be more kind of come to me all kind of thing, you know. Or just bar. Oh, oh, now you have to put H's into words where they don't belong. All right, go for it. Give me an down example. West, down west. That's a terrible um, effort, but yeah. H's just just drop them in. Um, you can't be serious. Li- liberally. There you go. I think, yeah. You're getting, you're getting closer to the West. Yeah. God bless your way. Uh, I will. Uh, what have we got this week, Adam? My services as your vocal coach for. By the way, what are we doing? Yeah. Shall we start the show? Uh, yes, let's start the show. This is Go Loud Selects, Go Loud Production, Go Loud Original, and it is brought to you by Sky. 12 minutes in, and we've begun the show. Well done. That's a record, even for us. God, we're getting better. We're getting better. <clears throat> Next week it might be under 10, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Can I ask you a question, Dubai? Yes, by you can. Shoot, shoot, what shoot, have, shoot, shoot, What have Sky got for us this week? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this my best shot. I have, mm. um, I have read the notes several times over, <laughs> and I'm still not too confident I can deliver this in any sort of uh, clear and uh, coherent way. But I'll give, give it a go. So we're here anyway. Okay, so our recommendation from Sky this week is a movie called After Yang. 
It has just arrived onto Sky Cinema and it stars our very own Colin Farrell and also Jodie Turner-Smith. That, so far, is straightforward. Oh, so far, you're, you're doing brilliantly. I mean, you, you sound like a professional broadcaster. Let's get in here. <laughs> I've been uh, doing that most of my life. Let's get into the storyline and, uh, and yeah. uh, see if you can keep up. Okay. So Colin and Jody play Jake and Kyra. They have an adopted daughter called Mika. She's human, but they also have uh, an AI robot called Yang. And the robot Yang is a happy, calm, friendly, and very lovable figure of Chinese appearance programmed with Chinese memories and Chinese knowledge whom the family have grown to love. However, Yang goes into an unexplained coma, which is deeply upsetting, and a bereavement shock for the, fa- the family, beyond, you know, you or I killing a Tamagotchi and being upset. This, this AI robot is more than just a robot. It's, it's, it's their child. Right. Um, so then we discover that Yang was bought secondhand and, <laughs> and without a guarantee. In Hector Grace. <laughs> he didn't have a fucking insured. There's no warranty on Yang. Okay, I shouldn't be laughing because Yang, like I said, is essentially the child. So Jake, Colin Farrell, is forced to go to um, go to the back streets to a repairman. And this repairman discovers that Yang has been implanted with spyware, which has been designed to harvest consumer data. And also that Yang's memory, much of which has been uh, recorded. Come on, Yang. What are you doing? Come Come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, I'm not going to buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. I could keep going on. No, do. I want to know what happens. Keep going. Okay, I don't want to reveal the the entire plot, but I think it does need a bit of a scene set. So then what we discovered is that Colin Farrell's character, Jake, he replays his own memory of the same events that he had with Yang. And he discovers through Yang's new memories that the repairman has discovered on the hard drive that Yang was secretly in love with a local cop, coffee shop barista named Ada. She's a human, I think. Um, oh, oh, no, she's a human clone. Okay. So we have a clone working wow. in in Starbucks and then we have a, a faulty Yang who didn't have a, um, a warranty and indeed has implanted memories. We discover then a commonplace phenomenon in these future times um, which suffer from a widespread caste racism of which Jake is also revealed to be guilty. <sighs> the action of after Yang is bizarre and exotic but it does meditate on what it is to be human and how that may in the future be modified, but also addresses loss in the present day. Our anguished and futile human instinct that death must surely be fixable. Hmm? So Kogonandas, I hope I'm pronouncing that guy's name right, is the director behind this one. I've heard Colin Farrell <clears throat> talk in eulogizing about this guy. His previous right. films include the likes of Columbus, Columbus and similar to that, this is if you haven't garnered already, a very complex but intelligent yeah. and questioning film. It amazes me how the, how the, how so the hell I, does a writer start with that? Where's you the do not need to take drugs to watch this. No, that sounds that's mad. mad. Not that taking drugs to watch cinema uh, movies is ever a recommended um, <clears throat> pastime, but this it, it sounds mad, doesn't it? It sounds great. I mean, it sounds... It's original. You know, multi-layered, complex. I love that kind of So I like a movie where you have to think your way through it. 100%. I think you're going to need your brain and your IQ for... So it stars our very own Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Colin, He's got a good future ahead of him, I Colin think. He's going to do well for himself. You think so? I think he has a chance. Is he showing Is he showing those early signs? Is he a prospect that may, may go on to be big, do you think? Listen, I, th- I think the kid's going to be all right. <laughs> There's no argument that Colin Farrell is making very good choices in his yeah. career in the last 10 years. 100%. When is, is that available to watch now, Edo? Yeah, it's on Sky Cinema. 
just to excellent, arrive. Excellent, excellent. Right, do you uh, do you think it's time to wheel in somebody who knows what they're actually talking about when it comes to recommendations? Is he on two or four wheels? Uh, depends if he has his. Is wheel he on the unicycle? If he has his wheel along imaginary frame with him, let's open the door and see who's there. So, for the past few weeks, or indeed for as long as I can remember, Simon, this yes. guy. He's yes. not seen a good film. I don't know if it's about to change this week. Is there anything worth going to the cinema yeah. to watch this yeah, so week? The last kind of thing I remember, remember a, a rave review was on Colleen Coon, which is, uh, that's the last good one I remember him talking yeah. about. Oh, that yeah. is a while ago. So it, let's and, see um, that trend. What's the other one, the Top Gun Bollocks, the second one? That um, was, yeah, Top Gun, Big Bollocks it was called. Big Bollocks, that's it. Bollocks the Return. Yep. Bollocks, <laughs> now they're back together. Yeah. Shaven. <laughs> Brian Lloyd, save us, save us, Brian. Uh, just, just, I mean, I'm just, I was letting you just like twist in the wind there. As long as you weren't um, thinking of Tom Cruise's shave bollocks. I Twisting mean, in the wind. Sure, why not? Uh, yeah. Um, top, did either of actually get to see Top Gun yet, by the way? Oh, yeah. I was first, first there. On oh, the- yeah, oh, listen. Yeah, Aiden covered himself, covered himself in margarine and went into a cinema to watch it and put on his aviators. And, you know. They dressed in me, uh, Air Force pilot onesie, whatever you call them. And I was there the Wednesday morning. There was about eight people in the cinema and I was fucking fist pumping and beating my chest and yeah, I loved it. Yeah, no, it's great. No, I mean, there has, there definitely has been like, I mean, there was um, Moon Age Daydream uh, was last week. um, And that was, that's honestly been one of the best uh, music documentaries I've seen ever, full stop, end of sentence. Um, That was out last week. Um, like, they never thought about it. Well, like, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but like, I mean, I can tell you, it is absolutely incredible. Really? I think if you're a Bowie fan, I think if you're a music fan, full stop, you'll. Hey, love Simon, it. I, th- I think Brian's just mixing up because he's on so many different podcasts and so many radio shows. I think he just forgot which one he was on. He but I thought he was ours. <laughs> Isn't that exclusive? We're not in a monogamous oh. relationship, Brian. No, I, I I don't believe you in monogamy. Are. You I don't are. believe I don't believe in monogamy. I don't believe in monogamy. Tell your wife. Um, You're dead, right? I keep losing the dice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the film I have for you this week. This is just I'm just going to brush right past that. I feel like we're um, in school now, and the teacher's like, "All right, shut up your message. Shut up the and Carry on, Brian. The Brian, front of class. Yes. So the film I have for you this week is Blonde. On the hand. How'd you get your start? Maybe. What start? In movies. Why continental? But diamonds are a girl's best friend. I guess I was discovered. Men broke home as girls. I know you're supposed to get used to it. And we all lose our jobs in the end. But I just can't. I've played Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. Um, have either of you heard about it? Neither of you know anything Absolutely, it. it's the Marilyn Monroe, yes. uh, not a biopic, but it's featuring her, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it is. Ooh, right, how would I describe this? It's not really a biopic, um, but it is about Marilyn Monroe. It is about her life. It is about her career and what have you. But the best way I could describe this to either you and Simon would be looking in your direction for this one. Do you remember a film from the 80s called Altered States? That's ringing a bell. Yeah, what's that about? It was uh, Ken Russell directed it. It was this really freaky psychological horror it was um william hurt was in it and it was all about kind of um doing um what, what do they call it like flotation devices like where you basically go you kind of um zap yourself into batshit crazy stuff just just bananas kind Clock of clockwork orange kind of stuff even yeah i mean yeah that but like more kind of like full-on hallucinations and wow, okay. just you know, exploring what it's like to have, you know, full-blown mental illness, like schizophrenia or whatever. And, you know, Blonde starts off, um, 
with um, Marilyn Monroe's childhood, which was obviously pretty horrific. And her mother, um, it turns out, had a paranoid schizophrenia and actually tried to kill her daughter oh um, when she was like seven years old. Yeah, exactly. And her father was this unnamed actor, but was very high up in Hollywood and all this. And her mother had this real obsession with her fa- with her named father that, you know, she thought that the father basically left them because she got pregnant with Marilyn Monroe, you know, her real name, Norman Jean or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, because of that, the mother basically didn't love her daughter and that kind of loss of uh i guess paternal that loss of paternal love in her life impacted everything that came after did she ever find out who her dad was no never not in her lifetime no not in her lifetime and in fact a plot device in this is um later on she gets a letter from uh her father who uh, this this person who was purporting to be her father and saying oh you know uh, I've been away, but I've seen your pictures and all the rest of it, and it's me. And you know, I I will I will be with you soon or whatever. And throughout the entire film, she's getting letters from this father who never appears, who appear, who is about to appear, but then you know, she does something like the seven year itch, and the father's like, "I'm very ashamed of you um, flaunting your body like this. Like it's not it's not womanly and all this." And you know, like I. I you know, like biopics have become just such a steady business, haven't they? Like, I mean, mm. like you've had Bohemian Rhapsody and then you've had Rocket Man, and then, you know, Elvis. Elvis, yeah. And there's all these kind of, you know, like Elvis, I think, was, was probably the worst example of it in that, you know, it was a very, very well made film, but it was completely a buttered up, very much presenting Elvis as this, you know, larger-than-life character that had a few problems in his past, but was generally a genius. Um, Blonde doesn't do that at all. I mean, I would say Blonde really kind of strips away every single preconceived notion you had about Marilyn Monroe and really kind of... I mean, I saw one review that I think sums it up way better than I could, it was, they said that Blonde was like being led through a slaughterhouse from the perspective of an, of an animal. And that's really what this film is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it is utterly, like I saw it in the cinema. I missed a press screen and I I went to see it over the weekend, Um, but it'll be on Netflix this Wednesday. And um, I was- just today, yeah? By the time this airs? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be out by the time this airs, yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would recommend people see it because I, I think it's, I walked away from it really disturbed and really unsettled and really kind of rethinking what I knew, what I thought I knew about Marilyn Monroe. And I haven't seen a biopic do that in years. Wow. Maybe ever. That's really challenged, A, what I know about her, but B, has unsettled me in such a way that it forced me to kind of reconsider loads of other things, which I think is the mark of any good film. Like if it, if it gets you to think, <clears throat> reconsider things and kind of. So you, when you say reconsidering things, are you thinking, so when I'm watching her in some like it hot, I'm thinking about what she was going through that day yeah. or that week or that month mm. or that year. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, mm. like it does this, it has this really interesting thing in it where um, a lot of the premieres of her biggest film are kind of sent, are, are, are kind of like um, chapter markers in the film, you know? Yeah, and by the time it gets to some like it hot, I mean you, when you first see her in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, for example, mm. she's really up and she's really happy, and you know it's all really colourful, and you know it's her singing "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend," and it's all done. It's Anna Diarmas just lip syncing it perfectly. But by the time it gets to some like a hot, her mental state and her mental health is just completely gone, and when she sits into the premiere of it the screen is just complete static because she wow. doesn't remember any part of it. Like it's all just a mess. Like it's all just completely gone out of her brain. Like and she doesn't remember anything of it, but then people get up and everyone starts clapping and stuff like that. And that really made me think like, God, I mean, how, how, how out of it on drugs was she mm. that she can't remember any part of it. And it's just this blur to her. Is there Whereas, some similarity, Brian, between, her story and Elvis in terms of the way the business et, bet and spat them out. Yeah, but like 
I know she was abused on a much different level and a much yeah. graver level. Mm. And, and you know, she took her own life at the age of 27. Um, well, some know, people would dispute that, Simon, given the well, that's true. details yeah. surrounding her death, her involvement with the Kennedys yeah. and more than that. Brian, just by, just by the way, off topic, but related to Marilyn Monroe, prior to seeing the movie, had you watched the documentary series that's on Netflix called The Marilyn Monroe Tapes or something to that effect? No, I hadn't. No. And I'm mean, be honest, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that has a great amount of affection or any kind of... I know you. I know the two yous are really big into like, you know, rap pack, that whole rap pack era and mm. all that kind of stuff. I have no interest in that whatsoever. I mean, I've seen Gentlemen Before Blondes and I've seen, you know, Seven Year Rich and I've seen... Uh, Something like it hot. Something like it hot. Right. Very millionaire and all these kind of stuff. Like I've seen them as a kind of, just as a sort of, I wanted to see them or whatever, but not mm. heard of any particular graph for them. Um, Does this movie, Brian, um, you mentioned it, focuses on her early life and her childhood does it go right up to her death yeah right up to her death and in fact wow. again her the death scene in it is really is really powerful because it's it shows her um taking the barbiturates or whatever you know mm. and her then lying on the bed and and I mean, look, it's a very arty film. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a very, very, it takes a lot of liberties with her story. It takes a lot of liberties with the timelines and stuff like that. Um, You know, like her first marriage is completely, is completely ignored. Like, but her marriage to Joe DiMaggio and to Arthur Miller are big parts of the film. But um, yeah, her death scene in it, it's literally, she, her body is like lay, is splayed out. But then like, her ghost, if you know what I mean, grabs the pillow next to her and kind of does this sort of come to bed eyes, which I think kind of speaks to the fact that even in her death, people are looking at her and presenting her as this sex symbol. Like she's literally dead, like her, she's topless or whatever. Like she's basically naked, dead. But her body is like being kind of positioned to make it look like she's this like sex pot or whatever, you know, that sort of way. So. Wow. It's really like it's it's really really powerful. Like it's really really like it really got under my skin. And but what about the central performance? It's amazing. Like it is the way that Anna de Armas just goes after it. I think is it it it's one of the best. Wow. It is, I would say, the best uh, female performance I've seen this year. I haven't seen anything better. Um, but at the same time, I can see why people would look at this. And have issues with it. Like it's completely polarized people. I think on Rotten Tomatoes it's at like fifty-one or fifty-two percent or something. Wow. Like that. And I can understand why it polarizes people because you know, you could look at Anna Darmus and say, the way that she um plays her in certain scenes, she's very breathy and very kind of like doing that kind of um baby talk kind of voice, which you might think is kind of minimizing her a little bit or something, but it's not really the case. Like, I think it's actually more, she is, that was just how she presented herself because she thought that that, that that's how people wanted to see her, you know? Mm. Wow. Well, it sounds like you were, you were moved by it and look, that's what good movies and good film, and good art are supposed to do, isn't it? Movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, I, see, this is it. I, as much as I'm going on about this, I don't know if I could recommend it to anybody. Wow. I really don't know if I could, um, if I could say, oh, definitely go out and watch it because I think it is going to absolutely polack some people. Like, I think it is going to, it will really split audiences. Um, but I think, to be honest, that's good. Do you know that kind of way? I think, mm. you know, like there's this thing. I don't know if you realize it or not, but like, if a film gets three stars or over, it's considered fresh by Rotten Tomatoes. So you could have you know, a hundred people, a hundred reviews that are three out of five, but on Rotten Tomatoes, that's like a 95, 96% rating. That doesn't necessarily mean it's 90, 96% good. Mm. It just means yeah. 96% of critics thought it was okay. Now do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas with something like Blonde, that's at like 51, 52%. Most, most of the, the positive reviews I've seen have been like four and five stars. And most of the people that hated it have given it one and two and maybe a three-star review. Do you know, you know this is way? interesting, again, going off on a slight tangent, but maybe yeah. this is one for a deeper dive, but the whole Rotten Tomatoes thing. Like, my wife and my 14-year-old were talking about it the other day. 
Mm. And they were kind of explaining it to me, you know, because there's a critic score and then there's an audience review. Yeah. And my wife religiously will use it if a series is recommended to her by a friend or whoever. Her first part of call will be Rotten Tomatoes. And if it's mm. below a certain, like my 14-year-old said, ah, kind of anthem below 80 is shit <laughs> from an <laughs> audience point of view. And I went, oh, okay, right. Um. <laughs> and then they then they started to look up some of my work on it, and one of them has a single digit on it. <laughs> one of them's at seven percent. I'm not going to fucking mention what it is, but, but it, it, we can all look ourselves now, Simon. Well, Rotten Tomatoes is it's it's a guide stick, isn't it? It's, it's, it's yeah, it. that's it. It's not like I mean, Jesus, all reviews are a fucking guide stick. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not like you know, there are plenty of films I love absolutely would defend to the death that are well below 40% on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. And it's not even in a so bad it's good. I just think they're really, really good. Um, and I think, like, yeah, I mean, there definitely is a certain, there's an argument kind of going on with film critics at the minute that um, that Rotten Tomatoes is sort of homogenizing everything. Do you know that's yeah. sort of way that, like what I was talking about, that like a three-star review if you get enough of them, that's classed as 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then that it's giving it undue praise when it doesn't really deserve it. You know, that's our way, which is so why. We need a, a unified barometer for this. And the only one truly is and should be the Terry's Chocolate oh, Arts. 100%. Which, which we'll get to in a moment. But Simon, with your permission, can I quote from your page on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> with, your, and with your permission, that's all I'm asking for. If I, not, do, I don't give a shit. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, Brian, would you like to guess what Simon's <laughs> highest racing... Uh, is it a tomato raising? Is that what you call it? What's yeah, Simon's yeah, the, the tomato meter, yeah. Toma the tomato, tomato meter. Tomometer, tomato... Yeah, that. For what work has Simon garnered an 89% score? Jesus. Is that The Conjuring 2, is it? It's a film... And it is The Conjuring 2. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, well, that's yeah. not a surprise. It's a great movie. It's yeah, a great movie. He, he, he was great in time, to be fair. He has a yeah. higher rating for a television show. This is... Really? So the tomato meter is 93% and the audience oh, score no. is 91%. Oh, fuck. Mm. For a television show he has starred in in the last, the last decade. Fucking hell. Um, Simon, would you like to guess? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, it, uh, the good wife. Oh playing, yeah, playing the character of. Oh, I, I remember. I remember your episode. Yeah, you were an English. You were an English barrister. Your English accent is very good, by the way, Simon. Thank you very much, Brian. I've been working on it for years, dear boy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, a Timothy something. I was. I think double barrel second name Timothy. Yes, Ash Brannon. Bannon. Brannon. Correct. Yeah, there you go. Timothy Ash Brannon. There you, there you go. go. And there is. There is one that's eleven percent, but we won't go there. <laughs> Listen, we're, the thing we're about all it is, positivity here. The thing about it is, when you go to the bank with the check, the bank managers will say, "Hang on, let me check Rotten Tomatoes." <laughs> Whipping it open, it's yeah, the same. This is like two percent. This is like ten percent here. Yeah, yeah, take your money out. It's like an exchange rate. <laughs> <laughs> it's devalued, I'm afraid. Since oh, God. It, since Mary and Cabra put up the latest review and gave you one star, that's now only worth 20% less. Well, listen, let's get to our our, our guilt-edge, gold-standard critics scoring system of the chocolate orb. It's open. It's on the desk. Brian, how many segments of chocolate orange are you giving Blonde? Oh, see, this is the thing. Where as much as mm. we're fucking talking about critics and how they're all full of shit, I'm actually kind of <laughs> no. But seriously, I'm actually no. But see, if you give it a very high rate, and people are going to go, oh, he's recommended it quick. Let's go. That's the thing. You see, yeah. I can't really. I don't know if I'd recommend this film. Like, this is the thing. Like, it's very hard going. Like, it's the more you say that, Brian, the more I want to see it. So and by me. saying that, you are recommending it to me. Well, let's yeah. take it that you're you're recommending. You're giving it a score for yourself. Yes. Okay. So, so if you get amnesia in the next three weeks and you read, oh, this was good, yeah. Well, how many are you giving it? I would give it ten, okay. I would give it ten cherries, chocolate orange out of twenty. Ooh, there you go. Ooh. Um, I would take away the ten uh, pieces for the fact that it kind of, oh, it's 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 a film that doesn't really kind of right. It, it <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to word this so carefully, right? <laughs> That's a first. 
I know, yeah, because norm- I'm normally just winging it half the time, but this, I want to get it right. It is a film that seeks to judge the audience for viewing Marilyn Monroe in such a way, but then it's kind of guilty of doing it itself. And I think as well, right. the pacing of it is very, very indulgent in parts. It goes way too over the top. But it, everything else, I mean, Anna Diarmas is fantastic. And Adrian Brody is Arthur Miller. Brilliant in it. Bobby Cannavale is Joe DiMaggio. Brilliant. Um, That's great casting, by the yeah, way. Yeah, great casting. Yeah, I like, thinking that Adrian Brody, skinny, tall guy playing uh, Arthur Miller. Miller. Oh, yeah, no. And, and Bobby Cannavale. He's one of the most underrated actors in the business. Remember Vinyl? Did you see Vinyl? I watched a couple of episodes of it. Yeah, he's really good in it. Yeah, he and it was cancelled after one fucking season. Like Scorsese directed the first episode. Rolling Stones co-produced it, and it was cancelled. I think it's great. See your series it came. You see, I think the problem with vinyl was was that it had too much. To, I think that was top heavy. If you know what I mean. Like I think when you have like literally the Rolling Stones and Martin Scorsese and Terence Winter mm. and all these great fucking people involved. Yeah. In it, the, no, but like it, it, it's, it's everyone expects it to be a hit right away, and it wasn't a hit right away. And yeah. I, I think if it had got a second season, it probably would have found its feet and kind of gotten on better. But the fact that they cut it after one season, just which was total bullshit, because yeah. I loved, absolutely loved that. Yeah. Scorsese made it up to him by putting him in. He was in The Irishman, wasn't he? He was in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. No, but he was in The Irishman as well. Was he? Yeah. yeah, he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Great actor. Yeah, brilliant so actor. So 10 segments have been awarded to Blondes. That's that's high praise, dear boy. So Brian, again, I know, knowing that you don't, you're not sure whether to recommend it or not, is it is it worth going to the cinema or is it equally as uh, consumable on the couch? I would say go see it in the cinema because, and I've talked about this a lot, there are some films that you kind of need to be locked in a room with. And it's not about, you know, uh, the sound is better in the cinema. It is. Or the screen has to take it all in. That's not it either. I think there are some films that you kind of need to be locked in a room with. Focus. And focus in on to Mm. get the best possible experience of it. And I think Blonde is one of those films that you kind of need to be trapped in a room with it because it's a horror. And and a horror, you you know, it's that thing of you can't look away. So... Mm. Yeah, I think I think it would be better in a cinema. But then again, I'm sure you could watch it. And most people are going to watch this on Netflix anyway. And do you so, think come uh, February that she might get a nomination? Oh, she definitely get a nomination. I mean, it would be an absolute fucking travesty if she didn't get nominated. She absolutely wow. deserves it. <clears throat> Will she win? I doubt it because, you know, the film takes a very, very, very poor look mm. at Hollywood in general. And especially people like Daryl F. Sanuk and stuff like that. So yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think she'll get. I don't. I wouldn't think she'll win, no. but she'll definitely get nominated for it. And again, we'll dig into that closer to awards season. We'll talk about yeah. the way you know it's all set up and that. But you know, I even from your description of the movie and you know hearing about what she would have had to put in to 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 put that pull that performance out. You know, I hope she gets nominated. But then mm-hmm. when you see if someone like fucking Tom Hanks gets nominated for Elvis, I'll go, oh, bollocks to it. What's that for? You know Yeah, what I mean? like, I mean, yeah, he doesn't, like, yeah, Tom Hanks and Elvis. Like, I mean, look, Tom Hanks is brilliant, but he doesn't deserve it. He's anything. one of my favorite actors, but he was shite in Elvis. Yeah. Miscast. Muck. Complete muck. And yeah, you're right. Totally miscast. But, you know, I would say that film got put together on the strength of Tom Hanks being there. And by the way, Brian, do you know that we're in our company today? We have a pen pal of Tom Hanks. Do we really? Oh, yes. Go ahead, Aiden. Go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah, I get to tell my one and only Tom Hanks story. Who else else has got a Tom Hanks story? Brian, this would make me sound like a 12 year old, and I'm fine with that. So, uh, Tom Hanks collects typewriters. That's right. He has one of the biggest collections in the world. I believe he's scaled it down somewhat because uh, you need a lot of space to store them. Um, and he has about like 200 and something. And, uh, I, have and a, I actually have his book, Uncommon Type. I'm actually looking at it right now on my bookshelf. Okay, well, I would recommend leaving it on the bookshelf and getting the audiobook so you can hear Tom Hanks read those stories. It's a collection Ooh. of sto- short stories. And he manages to weave a typewriter into each plot. And it's it's excellent, actually. It's really good. Yeah. It's very enjoyable uh, to listen to. So long story short, I like typewriters too. I like old things, uh, including women. And right. I, 
I, I was sitting at the typewriter one day, one of the first ones I bought, and I thought, I want to write a letter to, to someone, but who, who will get this? Like, who will appreciate this? And I went, well, Tom Hanks might. <laughs> so again, this is the 12-year-old in me. Dear yeah. Tom, greetings from Ireland, blah, 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 blah. So I write Tom Hanks a letter and I send it off and I think nothing of it. And about eight months, eight, nine months later, uh, a letter arrives to the house and straight away I knew it was from Tom Hanks because on the back of it was uh, sealing the envelope was the Playtone sticker, which is his production company. Yes. And it had the address Malibu or Santa Monica, somewhere like that in California. And inside was a very nice, sweet and personalized reply typed by Tom Hanks on one of his many, many typewriters. And I have it um, I have it framed in the living room at home. It's very sweet. There you are now. That's lovely. That's a lovely story. Isn't that lovely? No, he didn't tell you that in the letter. Tom said, if you fucking write to me again, <laughs> you just cease and desist all efforts to contact me, Mr. Power, or you will be hearing from my lawyers. I'll, um, I don't have the letter to hand, but but I will dig it out. And in the letter, he poses uh, more than one question to me, which is suggesting, hey. You Did you not write back? No. Did you not write back? No, Why? I didn't. No, I didn't. Because sometimes something should just be left where it is. No, bollocks. I write it ah, Come back. on. Beautiful. You what know. did he ask you? Like what you're wearing or what? What, what did he ask you? <laughs> it was about the typewriter he was, he was wondering, wasn't it? He had a, he had a, there was two, two questions. One was whether uh, I had got the bike I'd asked for for Santa when I was a kid. Um, and then the second thing he asked was where the Y and Z keys were on this particular typewriter because it's a German keyboard layout. Oh, interesting. Wow, Jesus. What kind of what kind of typewriter is it? Like an Adler or something, is it? Oh, you know your stuff. So Adler, I, do you know? I, I don't have an Adler, and I've looked at many particular ones, but I don't have an Adler in my collection. Now this one is a uh, uh, Neumann and Seidel uh, German typewriter. It's called it. This Erica is the model, and then within that, there's an Erica five, six, seven, eight, and so right. on. So an Erica model five, I think that one. I have a couple of them. Erica model five. Yes, beautiful. No. The reason why I know Adler, right? And this is this is uh, this is uh, we're just gone off topic now. But whatever, fuck it. We're, 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 That's we're what here. this show is about, Brian. We're here now, so we may as well keep going. Keep going. Keep swimming. Um, Adler <clears throat> in The Shining, the um, the typewriter that Jack Nicholson is typing on is an Adler typewriter, and the symbolism behind it is is The Shining, as you know, was really about. Uh, genocide. The whole film is basically the thematic kind of overtone of it is genocide. And Stanley Kubrick basically put that typewriter there and had Jack Nicholson typing at it because the Nazis, when they were typing up their um, death lists for the Holocaust, uh, for the death camps or whatever, they would type on Adler typewriters. Wow. So they wanted Jack Nicholson <clears throat> using an Adler typewriter um, typing away. And that was the kind of the back and forth of it. There you go. Wendy, let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. Fine. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing whether you don't hear me typing what the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here that means that I am working that means don't come in how do you think you can handle that that's very that. interesting I, I'm a member of a couple of um, typewriter collectors and enthusiasts Facebook page one oh of which uh, is, is there, must be, there must be tens of members of those things isn't there? Hey. it's a very popular thing these days the whole record yeah. thing yeah, and like typewriters yeah. now uh, including <clears throat> that, that particular uh, model you have Simon um, they're, they're going for big prices they're going up so, um, so hang on to that one for a few more years before you go you mean the one that I have here beside me is worth a few Bob the one you have beside you right now would go for anything between four and eight hundred quid, depending on the quality of it. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> no, but uh, like, you know something. I actually, I would love. There's a rarity to them because they're not being made anymore. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And Aiden did gift me a typewriter for my fiftieth birthday, and I have it here behind me. It's a Royal Typewriter, nineteen thirty-eight. It's beautiful. Royal Deluxe. Royal Deluxe with that beautiful Royal chrome banding. It's quite Art Deco that that particular one, Simon. Yeah. Isn't it? That was actually I just remembered now. 
Um, Tom Hanks did a video, I think it was for either Vanity Fair or, yeah, it was Vanity Fair, yeah, where it was like, it was called Hidden Talent Theatre. And his hidden talent was he showed people how to replace um, the band the on ribbon. a typewriter, basically. That was his whole thing. That was his hidden talent. The, the easiest way to replace a fucking ribbon on a typewriter is to wear uh, plastic gloves because you're getting yeah. your hands. You get the ink everywhere, um, yeah. Or you can do what I did when I had my typewriter two days. And ring me. Ring do me a video a call with you. <laughs> I'm troubleshooting you, talking yeah. to you. I'm just scrolling on my phone here, lads, looking for this Tom Hanks letter. And I will... I do remember you showing me the letter before. Yeah, yeah. I'll read I it to you now. What I was just saying about those Facebook groups for anyone <clears> interested in film and indeed typewriters, there's a whole dedicated page where people uh, spot typewriters in films and then anorak the shit out of it, you know, speculating what particular model it was and what year it was made and all that kind of stuff. Like the one in Misery, like, for example. Like. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And many others. So will I read you my letter and then his response? Yes, please. Yes. Are you Edward, comfortably? Uh, Ed, will you ed- edit in some nice storytelling sentimental music? I'll do it now myself. I'll get some proper music, don't worry. Okay. 3rd of November, 2018. That was for his reply. Carry on. You go ahead. You chime in with Betty Hill. Here we go. Dear Tom, greetings from Ireland, from the fair city and the keys of my Erica Six, brackets 1933. My other German, a 50s ABC, doesn't work so good. So this is a recent addition to my collection. Well, I own two machines. Is that a collection? Either way, it's in no small part down to you and your passion for these beasts that I'm sat here, one finger typing and reveling in the pleasure of my mistakes. You and the beautiful California typewriter film. Great movie, by the way. Highly recommend it. So thank you. I have not written a letter since 1986 to the fat man asking for a bike. Have you been back to Ireland since you shot up the beaches in Wexford? Be brilliant. Always, Aiden. As I said, sent on the 2nd of November, 3rd of November, 2018. Fast forward to the 11th of June, 2019. Headed note paper. Uh, nice weighted paper. Uh, monochromed on the top. Tom Hanks. Dear Aiden. Not, oh, now, actually, hang on. You all have to imagine Tom Hanks' voice here, okay? Mm-hmm. Dear Aiden, not only have I committed the sin of failing to return to your land since we invaded the place from just off the Wexford shore, but I just now read your letter of November 2018. My bad, as the kids say. Are you a kid? Do you say that? Those Germans made good typewriters. Is your Erica 6 an English keyboard? Where are the Y and Z keys? And yes, you do have a collection, even if the other German machine is kaput. I do hope you got that bike in 1986. Throw deep, as the American kids say. Brackets, no they don't. Dot, dot, dot. Tom Hanks. That's fucking brilliant. That That's pretty amazing. good. That That's pretty cool. That it's is pretty sweet. cool. And even when I reread that now, it just does, it makes me feel like a kid. You have to write back to him though. Tell him yeah, where the X and Y's keys are. And I will open it with, Dear Tom, my sincere apologies that Dear I'm Tom. Like, None of your yeah. fucking business. I'm You're sincere. <laughs> Dear Tom, where the fuck do you get off? <laughs> and Tom, Dear Tom, could you not Google that, you lazy bastard? And Tom, I'm going to start on a, on, a, on a negative footing here, but I need to tell you, Simon Delaney really <laughs> thought your casting of Elvis was so fucking out of place. And oh, as a result, dear, you were dear. the weak link in that film. Yeah, you're right. Regard, your, your dear Irish pen pal, yeah, Jesus. I think that's a great story. Brian, yes, we've, we've finally reached the shore. I don't know. We've swam through a lot of stuff to get there, but we're here, armed with 10 segments of chocolate orange for blonde. Thank you, dear boy. Oh, right. Thank you. Oh, lovely. Well said. Just returning the favour. <laughs> we're sending Brian off, off into the corridors with the wind power of an Aiden power burp. Um, 10 segments, that's a good recommendation. Or is it? It's up to you. Uh, thank you, Brian, for that. So that is Blonde. It's in the cinemas and it's on Netflix uh, this week, uh, Wednesday, today. Ada, what have you got for us? Um, I'm just going to go with something I've uh, discovered on YouTube that was made in the early mid-noughties. And you watch a, a lot of YouTube, don't you? I, I watch a tremendous amount of YouTube oh, yeah. in the last few months. Yeah, and I, because it's you go on for one thing and then all of a sudden you're in that cliched rabbit hole and two hours later you've come out in a, a completely different place. So yeah, I do find myself watching uh, more and more stuff on uh, YouTube. In particular, this show that was made in the mid-90s, it's a British comedy show called The Pilot Show. Have you ever heard of it? 
the pilot show. Now kind of precursor to shows like the 11 o'clock show. Uh, but unlike the 11 o'clock show, it's, um, this is a prank show primarily um, where they set up celebrities of varying uh, degrees oh, of celebrity. I love it already. Asses. In particular, and, and the way it's uh, digested on YouTube, there's, it's in clips. So you'll find, you'll find eight or nine, you know, four or five minute clips. So it's easy just, even if you're in work now or on the bus, uh, you could click onto it and you'll just get a great fucking giggle. In particular, there's, um, there's one segment where these two comedians are, are uh, pretending to be television executives and they're pitching show ideas to fucking D-list, C-list celebrities who, you know... Oh, I love it, I love it. Who will pretty much, a bell now, yeah, go on. Would say anything to... to uh, say yes to anything. One in particular is Dean, Dean Gaffney, uh, star of EastEnders, and, and I'm a celebrity, get me out. And extras. And extras. extras. He is, yeah, yeah. And, like, Dean clearly doesn't take himself too seriously when you... No. You know, in that role he played in uh, in East Nineties Tennessee mm-hmm. Extras, right? So Dean's at this pitch meeting, and they've literally come up. But you know, sometimes you just come up with a stupid title, and you go, "Okay, let's work backwards and 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 make out a yeah. show for that because it's just funny." Um, so they pitch about ten different ideas to him. One, one, one of which is uh, is called the Leaning Tower of Dean Gaffney, and he's like, "Oh yeah, okay, what's that? what's that? What's that?" And and they're like, "Well, Dean Gaffney recreates." the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Northampton. And he's like, sure, okay, but uh, wh- what would I make it out of? And they're like, oh, we- we'll get you the materials. Don't worry about that. And he's like, yeah, okay. And you can see the, the wheels in his head going, well, well, yeah, would we get a series out of that? Or is it a one-off? What yeah. would it be? It's another one. Gonna get that new couch or like build the extension on the house. Yeah, yeah. And, and like some of their ideas, they're, they're, they're kind of able to flesh them out and you go, God, you could make a show out of that. But then there's another one called <laughs> the, the Dean of Coventry. And he's like, oh yeah. And, and they're like, do you know Coventry Cathedral? And he's like, no. And he goes, well, we're going to take you there. Famous cathedral, bombed during the war, rebuilt, great history. And he goes, okay, and uh, what will I do there? And, he, and they're like, you'll just walk around. And he's like, would we get an hour out of that? And they're like, oh yeah, we'll Easy. fill that. Do you have any interest in religious architecture? Do you mean like temples? Yeah. Dean of Coventry Cathedral. You look at Coventry Cathedral, you probably know, bombed in the war, destroyed by the Nazis. Just go and have a look at it. You go and have a look at it. Right. But you're Dean mm-hmm. of Coventry Cathedral. That's what we're thinking. Will you just talk about it? Well, yeah. Can, but I've, I've got this image in my head of you walking around it, looking at it. Would that be a whole show or would that just yeah. be a segment? Uh, whole show. Sell a whole show, just me looking around the cathedral. Oh, we can do it. We will be able to do that. Yeah. No, can I'll... I ask you, the people who are... Uh, perpetrating these pranks do we know them do we know who they are now are they famous people uh, so there's yeah you'll know their faces so uh, there's a guy called Paul Garner who was one of the um, one of the instigators of all this am I getting his right. name right I'm pretty sure it's Paul Garner and then oh Mark Wooten is the other guy's name but they weren't well well enough known back then that you people go you're not a television executive you're, you're a comedian ripping the piss um, Sharon Horgan also features in the pilot show as well because there's another segment which is uh, kind of a piss take of Crime Call or Crime Watch UK and they have real life celebrities including Mr. Motivator helping to solve <laughs> crimes that they believe to be real it's a, it's a prank show and celebrities are the, are the butt of the joke I love that in, in absolutely adore way, pranks to was it brass iron shows like that that yeah, hooked yeah. a load of famous celebrities into doing these like public service announcements um, for like some really uh, off topic. Uh, Were you a fan of Phone Jacker? Yeah, yeah, I, I thought was. That, I thought that was Dominic. groundbreaking. Dominic groundbreaking. Was. Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Something. Dom Jolly. Dom Jolly. Thank you very much. Yeah. What a show! And then Face Jacker. Did you see that then? Which was the next version of it? Yes, with the balaclava. <clears throat> now he did all the prosthetics. He had. They actually dressed them up. Oh, okay. Like he actually became Terry Tibbs. Terry Tibbs? Yes, yeah. So the pilot show, like I said, it's in segments on YouTube, so you can easily just get stuck in. Oh, I love that. And uh, and it's just good, funny comedy. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, I'll give you a little reco for this week. It's, uh, as is my want, it's another documentary, but this is a feature film documentary, and it's on Sky. And it's called The Lost Leonardo. Have you heard or seen of it? Is it about Leonardo DiCaprio's virginity? <clears throat> it's not, funnily enough, although he does feature briefly in this feature film. Okay. There are only about 15 Leonardos known. 
To say I have found a picture like this is just so far-fetched. You're just going to look like a fool. This is the most improbable story that has ever happened in the art market. It's not even a good painting. So, so when you think of Leonardo's, you think of the turtles, you think of DiCaprio, and you think of some fellow with a paintbrush. Well, this is about the man with the paintbrush. This is about Da Vinci. And this feature film, True Story, documents the uh, the discovery by a fella called Alexander Parrish and Robert, Robert Simon, two lads who are art dealers. Now, one of them describes himself as, he's what's called in the art business, <clears throat> a sleeper hunter. Now, a sleeper hunter is someone who spends their waking hours uh, looking for those paintings that haven't been discovered. A sleeper is kind of a painting that is much better than the artist realized at the time and would have not displayed or shown and basically put it away. And these sleeper hunters go looking for these. So they're basically looking for great works of art by great artists now that have never seen the light of day. And back in 2005, okay. one of them comes across a painting <clears throat> titled Salvatore Mundi, Saviour of the World. And he he finds it in at, at an auction in New Orleans. And he, for some reason, falls in love with the painting. And he rings his partner in New York, says, I found this painting. I'll send you a picture of it. What do you think? He said, how much is it? He said, they want about $1,000 for it. It's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So they buy it for $1,175. Wow. Cut to... Uh, <laughs> Cut to about, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe I'm going to say 2018, where the picture was sold at Christie's for $450 million. Mother of Jesus. The most expensive <laughs> piece of art ever. Now, now the film centers around, uh, the claim is that they, they bought the picture for 1100 quid. They gave it to a woman called Diane Modestini who at the time, and still is known as one of the greatest art restorers in the business, because they could see when they got the painting that there was it was dirty and there was overpainting on it. So they gave it to her to let her work at it. And as she was working on it, <clears throat> and she starts removing some of the overpainting, the picture of Jesus is there and his, his hand features in it. And you can Google it. And she realizes that his thumb is in two different positions. So it's obviously the, the artist said, Originally wanted to put it there, but then decided to put it there. Anyway, as she's cleaning it and opening up this picture, which is very badly damaged, mm. she notices the paintwork around the top lip up to the bottom of the nose. And she said, that looks very familiar. And she thought it was very like the Mona Lisa. And she stopped in her tracks and she said to herself, this is a Da Vinci. So the film picks the trail up there. And they take the painting, they follow the painting around the world <clears throat> where they try and get it authenticated. Long story short, this is not a spoiler alert because it's been documented and it's out there. Cut to many, many years later and it's sold at Christie's for $450 million not having been authenticated. Wow. It's still... So now, so now it also discusses who bought the painting. And the painting apparently was bought by <clears throat> a very well-known and not very well-liked Saudi prince. And there was a very uh, huge exhibition in 2019, I want to say, in the Louvre. <clears throat> and it was called Leonardo Rediscovered. And they were going to put all of his finest works on display. And this painting, the Salvatore Mundi, became known glibly and stupidly by the American press as the male Mona Lisa. And they wanted, obviously, to put it beside the Mona Lisa. Pride of place at this exhibition. <clears throat> and up to, they'd agreed a loan deal with this Saudi prince uh, to get the painting. And 12 hours before it was due to go on show, he pulled it from the exhibition. Now, politics is involved. Oil is involved. The G8 is involved. It is an incredible story. Uh, the, the G8 are involved? The G8. Oh. <laughs> the GAA didn't get involved because it was above county level. 
<laughs> if it was a club issue, they would have been straight in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's an incredible uh, hour and a half, two hours. It just follows this. It, 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 it more talks about the themes of, you know, if enough people tell us something is real, we'll believe it's real without being told it's real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it reminds me of the, in, 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 <clears throat> in a somewhat similar way to the Hitler diaries, which was a yes. whole uh, escapade and story that the, yeah. these diaries were real, Hitler diaries discovered after the war, yeah. and then they, they turned out they were fake. Yeah. There was a big... And there are various, there are various critics and art experts and Da Vinci experts featured in the film. And some of them say, there's no way this is by Da Vinci. There are others who are saying, yeah, you know what, maybe it is. It gets sent to the British Museum, one of the most esteemed museums in the world. And they put it on display as a Da Vinci. But it wasn't. They said, well, are you authenticating it? And they said, well, no. Well, then they said, well, you can't display it as a Da Vinci. Like it can be attributed to mm. or it can be a work by a student of his. Or it can be a shadow work. It's it, it's it's amazing. I've I've a big fascination with this whole world of art and forgeries and lost art and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this will tell you the story of the Salvatore Mundi uh, from when it was discovered in New Orleans for eleven hundred quid and sold a few years later for four hundred and fifty million dollars. It's a remarkable story, and really uh, <clears throat> to echo what Simon said there uh, about you having such a, an interest and a passion of this, I know that well because you, my friend, have uh, written extensively about it. But uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> we won't get to hear or see about that. Uh, for we, get, we will get to that. <laughs> yeah, we will get to that. We will get. To, but, but no, it, it you do really have such a oh, I love it. I love that word fascination with it. Um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, by the way, do you know what that bit between the top of your lip and, and the bottom of your nose is called? Yeah, she doesn't mention it. The, 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 oh, God, go on, tell me. It's called your philtrum. Your oh. philtrum. Just that little bit, you know, with the little crevice in the middle. I think I actually played there once. It's just outside Carnival Cross, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going down to philtrum. <laughs> Live from the philtrum. <laughs> <laughs> this new one-man show about a painting oh, that looks like Mona Lisa dear. with a beard. Well, so this is this is the Lost Leonardo. It's on available now on Sky Documentaries. I can't recommend it. Her, if you're into that kind of thing, you're into the, the, that whole thing of forgeries and and how 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 in the name of Christ does a painting become worth this much money? And you'd be amazed at the answers because. You know, it's not just the market that does it. it also, it, it, it opens the doors to why why a certain auction house might want it to go for a certain price. It, it's just a, a fascinating. Uh, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, oh, yeah. isn't it? Because when they were announcing when it was first going to be shown, the painting was first going to be shown, displayed in, in New York. I think it was in Sotheby's or one of the auction houses before they were going to sell it. They put together this really great marketing campaign where they put the picture on display and invited members of the public and various various famous people in. And they had a camera behind the painting. So when they unveiled it, they got that, oh, Jesus, look oh, at that. Yeah. And DiCaprio was one of the people who, who was looking at it. And like, there are tears in people's eyes looking at this thing. Tears in their eyes. And that's how they marketed and got the hype around this sale. And then, like, when it went up for sale, it was, I think it was put up for, it was estimated between 80 and 120 million. It sold for 450. Fucking hell. Anyway, so get on us. The last thing Fucking sports washing Saudi prince. <clears throat> that's a bit of art. Well, you'll have to watch the find out who. Interesting. Once again, Simon Delaney bringing a touch of culture to an otherwise uncultured podcast. I'm doing my very best. Let's recap the records this week you gave us. All right. Uh, well, from the top, Sky gave us After Yang, a very interesting, curious and quirky movie um, from Colin Farrell, starring Colin Farrell. And that's on Sky Cinema right now. On the complete other end of the spectrum and sandwiched in between the highbrow recommendations of Brian and Simon and indeed Sky, I gave you a dumbass funny prank show called The, the Pilot, Pilot show. show. And guess oh. which one I'm going to watch first. Exactly. <laughs> the Pilot Show. Uh, what did you learn this week, Ado? I learned that... Oh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder and oh. art for art's sake is a load of arse. 
Oh, lovely. Beautifully put. What I learned this week is that you've got very high standards when it comes to women, Aidan. And no matter who they are and what they profess to be, none of them will ever compare to your Erica Model 5. And I bet you know where the G button is on that. See ya! (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done.